Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle 24's programme all about the built environment and how to make our cities better places to live in. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Coming up, we take a ride on the newest addition to London's transport network. That's why we're attracted to cities, we're attracted to transport projects. It's just try and help ease that experience of travelling from A to B because it's so rewarding, as we know, we all want to explore. It may have been almost four years late and nearly five billion euros over budget, but the Elizabeth Line is a thing of wonder. Cutting travel times and showing the rest of London's underground network how it's done, this mega project speaks for itself with its clever design and thoughtful appointments. The key to its success, however, is about much more than just punctual pit stops and a stress-free service. The ambition was to ensure that every station is a thing of beauty, and also easy to intuitively find your way around. So who better to be our tour guide than the renowned industrial designer Julian Maynard, managing director of Maynard Design Group and an integral part of the team who made this dream into a reality. Join me and the Urbanist team as we head over to Paddington Station to meet with our guide for this episode. Paddington in the ticket hall level and on Lisbeth Line the stations are divided into two different typologies. One like this one is called a box station and the other ones which we'll be going to like Farringdon and Liverpool Street are tunnel stations. They're from a mined network of tubes as it were but a lot of these stations have the same characteristics in terms of the line-wide identity and the series of products which you will see and I'll point out along our route. Tell us a little bit about your career so that listeners understand just what a big part of your life this has been. Well, we won this project back in 2009. Previously that and how I became involved in transport when I left the Royal College of Art. As an industrial designer, I went quite a strange route. I went into architecture and joined uh, Grimshaw Architects to work on the Eurostar terminal, people may remember, at Waterloo. From then, I went to work for Roland Paletti on the Jubilee line, looking at the stations. I'm not an architect, I'm an industrial designer, and we focus on the products within those environments. And then on Jubilee line, different architects for each station, but Roland Paletti was very inspired by the Holden and Pick era of London transport in the 20s, the Piccadilly line, for example. And he said, I've got all this chaos in architecture going on, which I'm embracing. And what I need, I need a double bass player in my modern jazz bands. And the products that your team will do will give that identity and that consistency for the customers so they understand who's running the show here. And he was quite a vibrant, you know, Italian expressionist chap. Great, great person. And going on to 2009, we partnered again with Grimshaw, Atkins and GIA Equation to bid for the line-wide contract for the Elizabeth line. So how it's set up is that there are different station contracts with design teams, and then there is a line-wide contract. And the scope of our line-wide contract is all the common touch points you'll see throughout the stations. So that could be ticket machines, lighting, seating, signage, 
cladding systems, CCTVs. Our work is consistent, as it were. It will be what we call the red thread, which goes through all the stations. When we originally had the concept and we were looking about how do we sell this consistency, we did some research and the British Navy, when they were trying to identify and keep hold of all the rope in their rigging and everything in the ships, they used to weave a red thread through it because it was very valuable. So they could go and look at anyone's piece of rope and know whether it belonged to the English Navy. So we said, well actually we'll use that as a symbol, the red thread. So that element so you will see throughout all the stations, it's the, the identity of the Elizabeth Line. We're about to go down onto the Elizabeth Line. Just one tiny thing, as someone as an editor makes a magazine, whenever the magazine first comes out, I can barely look at the thing because I, I know all the decisions and the complicated ideas that had to be sometimes truncated, sometimes expanded to make it work. Are you able to walk in here now and be a passenger or are you still looking around right and left wondering how it's all functioning? No, no, I'm on the latter. I, don't, I, I think it's almost like we're going around your house or something, isn't it, when you're trying to build something. You've got so much invested in there that you are looking around at details and reminiscing on, on how you got there in a positive way and then sometimes if we didn't get there. But I think it's important for us to appreciate the bigger picture because we don't want other people to be, have that affliction almost. We want people to actually experience it seamlessly and if they don't notice anything that we've particularly done that's fine by me you know we want we want them just to go from a to b in the most comfortable way possible tell us what we're going to see first of all then right from the ticket hall level now we are going down onto the platforms Okay, we've come down onto the platform, and I think that anybody who's used the Elizabeth line already is just struck by the scale of it. You know, this isn't... Well, it's, it's not like being on a tube line. It's, it's a very different feeling when you come down on the platforms. How did you manage to get such scale in central London to build these huge cavernous halls? Well, I think the brief, which is quite unique to Elizabeth line, is that you can come in from Shenfield or Reading, and you don't have to go to a terminus station. You can carry on through to Bond Street so and get you right into the heart of the city. The very nature of that is that you'll see from the trains that are of a different scale. They're not an underground metro carriage, as it were. So the scale of the train and the amount of people who will be coming in, because Lisbeth Line will increase by 10% the transport capacity of TfL, and it will bring 1.5 million people more into the centre of London. So the scale of these stations have to accommodate it. You'll notice these platforms, as you say, are quite vast. They're up to 200 metres in length. We've got to cater for that in terms of how we deliver a good customer experience. One of those elements is signage to make sure that people know where they're going and where they're exiting. Let's clear one little thing up. Is this an extension to the tube line? Is this a separate line? Is this its own thing? How do you see it? It's not an extension to the tube line. It's a separate mode. So it has its yeah. own identity and its yes. own values? Yes, it's part of the TfL family. But yes, it's a separate mode. Now, one of the things we have here, which you have slightly a similar thing on the, the Jubilee line, but you have these screens all along the station edge, the platform edge rather, stopping people potentially, I guess, falling or being pushed onto tracks. 
How different are these platforms to many of the stations that we've got used to over the years? Well, I think that was a good point about when we worked on Jubilee Line, that was new, introducing those screens, but they were only half height, as it were. So they don't really protect you for the environment, as it were. You'll notice here, there's no dust, the acoustics are very good. All the station architects and ourselves worked very hard with the communications and acoustic experts to make sure that it is quiet and announcements are very clear. So I think you'll feel this calmness. And I think that's what one thing I, when I actually traveled the line reasonably recently and got off at each station, there was a calmness to it. And I was saying to the team, the acoustics work really well, don't they? It was almost all that hustle and bustle was damped and you naturally felt quite calm. But going back to the screen doors, we took this opportunity to, we're standing in front of a complete wall here, to accommodate a lot of kit. Um, you always have a lot of kit in stations and airports. And when I mean kit, I mean things like CCTVs, speakers, Wi-Fi beacons, various train cameras. You know, where does all that stuff go? And how do you accommodate it and make the whole environment clutter-free? Well, we utilize that platform screen wall. We call it a hard-working wall. You will see in here that above the glass screen, we have custom information over each door. Now that was quite a battle to convince people to get rid of just having two signs on a platform, which everyone conjugates around, if you remember. Here, you've got information above each opening of the platform screen door. So that gives people um, confidence to move down a platform and still be fully informed of where they're going. Above here, you've got speakers, and in other stations, you've got lighting as well. So in this wall, you've got all the sort of like equipment and it's housed with very easy to use lift up access panels and things like that. So it looks quite minimal, but you won't believe the amount of work which has gone behind that facade with the engineers as well, because it's quite a safety critical piece of kit. So for you as a, an industrial designer, mm. I guess there's always a, a few competitive voices here. You know, on one side, people are you reference the 20s and 30s of this period where we now look back at some of the stations that were built that then and we feel they're masterpieces. So there's a pressure for aesthetic beauty. But you're an industrial designer who puts function at the heart of everything that gets delivered. Where does the, the line between those things sit for you, the, the need to create inspiring spaces and beautiful spaces, but function as well? Well, I think the opportunity to doing, having a line-wide approach to the industrial design and the products that we have designed is that it allows you to really refine the design. We went through a whole series of mocking things up, a full-size tunnel mock-up. We went through a stage of prototyping everything from seats to platform screen doors to cladding panels. And that allows us to get a real high level of design and refinement and quality and detail. And it also allowed us to get a lot of engagement with other stakeholders, whether that is the people who are going to eventually manufacture it, whether that's the operators, people who are going to maintain it, staff who are actually going to use it. So as part of uh, the industrial design process, I think you talk about the function, maybe about the aesthetics. I think that was unified, really. And the strength of that design is the longevity we're after. These projects, you know, the design life of these products are um, 40 years plus. You know, some for cladding systems, it's 100 years plus. 
So the effort of detailing everything, prototyping everything, I think the visual outcome of that shows a very refined and resolved design. And in the very early tube stations, there was lots of paint and repainting involved every couple of years. It doesn't look like that's going to happen in these stations. I'm glad you asked me that question because part of our brief was, and it's a sustainable part of the brief, is that could we use um, uh, self-finished materials? So you will look around here, we've got the glass, we've got the stainless steel, we're just looking over to the seating here, uh, stainless steel seating, self-finished materials. So there's not a lot of you know, powder-coated surfaces or it's very low maintenance and it's durable. I mean, transport environments, very different than designing maybe museums or, or other areas. They are hard-working environments with a high traffic. They've got to look robust and they've got, still got to look fit for person with a bit of wear. I mean, they should look better with a bit of patination in, as it were. Where should we head to next? Well, we're going to get onto the line and get off at a tunnel station. And then we can see those component parts and how these elements go into a tunnel station. Just being here on the platform, you will see, you know, we emphasise the rounder with Paddington. We've got a seating unit round here. This has all been bespoke designed. This is the first time a new seat has been introduced really to TFL. You will see the hilly seats from the late 60s. Yeah. We had an opportunity to relook at that seat. We spent a lot of time prototyping up, doing ergonomic mock-ups. You'll see the seat um, is slightly wider. We're all become slightly wider now. We are not as, we're not the same size as we were in 1968. So we used that opportunity to make a more inclusive seat for everybody. Just looking above here, you will see other line-wide products like the signage. Signage, very complicated, complicated uh, contracts or series of components to deliver the right information to people at the right time. But importantly, when you get out of these new central stations and go to the Maidenheads and the Shenfields, you will still realise that you are on the Elizabeth Line. Not only because you're actually on the main part, which is the train, but when you get out at those stations or Ealing, you will see consistent signage, seating. So the volume might be slight less products, but you'll still get that thread. You know, I mentioned the red thread earlier. Well, this is the purple thread. Jim Robinson, head of architecture, was involved in briefing the design of the train. And you'll see the same material palette, some of the attention to the details. You can see there is a synergy between the seating and the seating you see just on the platform here, can't you? The other extraordinary thing when you get on the, these trains is just there are no carriage brakes. It's an endless train. Yeah, I think we're, we're quite used to that in other cities of the world. But yes, I, I think it... It emphasised the, the vastness and the scale of the Elizabeth Line, but also I think it gives reassurance to the passengers from a safety point of view. When the completion date began to move out and then there was a little a moment of where everyone, I think, said, let's stop talking about what the completion date is until we're a bit more confident about it. How tricky is that for you, the team involved? Do you feel the pressure growing a little bit for, as the public clamours to know what's going on? We just kept our head down. We didn't get involved in, in the politics or the media or, or even voice anything. We knew what our job was. You know, we had to get our drawings done. 
we were looking at um, the prototypes, we were having visits with suppliers, we were on site, and we were just purely focused on completing the job. Tell me, one of the other things I found fascinating was I, I came on the, the line a couple of days after it opened, and just how quickly Londoners had rerouted their mental this maps of the city. People not looking around in amazement, just going to work after a couple of days on the Elizabeth line. Was there lots of testing about how you would get people on the trains? Were you concerned about how quickly it would become part of people's lives when you were designing it? Yes, we were trying to minimise dwell times on the platforms because that allows more efficiency and allows you to run more trains. And I mentioned about the the signage and and the wayfinding. You know, one of those key strategic moves was to have information above the platform screen doors. So people were fully informed, you know, every doorway, as opposed to just having two bits of information along a platform. You know, I think that gives people reassurance that their train is going in the right place. Also, when we go to the tunnel stations, I'll talk a bit more about the strategy for the wayfinding, because there is a challenge there. The Elizabeth line is quite unique because they have two ticket halls on each station. So when you leave a train, you need to know which ticket hall to go to. Because some of those ticket halls, like on Tottenham Court Road, are almost a kilometre apart. So if you were going to meet someone for the theatre and you took the Tottenham Court Road exit, as opposed to Dean Street exit, then you'll be slightly out of location, as it were. We did a lot of role-playing of um, different users, end-to-end journey requirements, and how we could accommodate that in the directional information that we provided. It promotes the efficiency of a place. If people feel confident, they will go and explore. You know, whether that's in a city, going into different neighbourhoods and districts, or whether it is on a network. Because we want to make this network inclusive for everybody. There's an older generation. We want them not to be intimidated to travel. We want to encourage travel. So we need to give information Everyone says everything's on their phone. It's not on their phone for everybody. We've got to have different levels of information to make it work for all types of people. I mean, the user and user-centric design is the heart of what we do at Maynard and is the heart of the approach of our team on the Elizabeth line as well. Next station, Tottenham Court Road. Okay, so we're, we're jumping off at Tottenham Court Road and we're going to be seeing a little bit more of the design here of the Elizabeth Line. You'll probably recognise a lot of the kit from Paddington, like the seating and the signage. You'll see the vastness of this platform. This has got a slight curve on. And the team's approach really was to rationalise these series of spaces. When we originally looked at this package of work, each station had a number of different tunnel sizes. We looked at that and we rationalised to try and get a more common approach. So we've reduced the number of tunnels to a couple of platform tunnels, cross passages, lower concourse tunnels, escalator shafts. With that we had to then think about the design of them and what is the appropriate way of designing those spaces. Our inspiration came from expressing and understanding the engineering. The construction of these spaces are spray concrete lining. And immediately we saw some opportunities to work with the engineering. You'll see these curved forms. There's practical reasons for that, but we saw that as an opportunity to shrink wrap the cladding around these 
rather organic flowing spaces. It gives the passenger a sort of like continuous and sinuous flow from ticket hall down to the platforms. Just to describe the scene a little bit, the platform, it stretches certainly to my left around the corner. I can barely see the end of it. It's huge. This organic shape, you feel the platform half the tunnel is probably the train, but you're wrapped in this kind of vein that kind of goes underneath the ground of London. Normally a platform is an advertising blasted space. Here, somehow, (laughs) there are some nice digital panels, but you've managed to keep your beautiful concrete walls uh, pretty free of any other kind of interventions. That's a tough thing because that's how many of these operators make money is by taking this advertising. I'm glad you noticed that because there was a real push early on in the projects to actually understand the commercial requirements because you know we recognize that this is a commercial business and we can't have our head in the sand and say we don't want anything like this at all. What we did is that we looked at where is the most important locations for the wayfinding and signage and information. We identified those all on the plans. Then we put an overlayer and said, where is the best place to put advertising? And then another layer, where's best to put the art programme? And you can guarantee that those areas clash in some form. So what we said to, and the client was fully supportive of is saying that the most important part is to get this station operational and efficient. So we said, if we could contain the advertising onto the platform screen wall, and that is where you've got a captive audience waiting for the train, you can entertain them. Same on the escalator. When you go down the escalator, captive audience, there's an opportunity to engage with the passenger. When you come off the train, we say this is the arrivals wall, that back wall is the arrivals wall. It's critical for people to make their decision points. Here, left to go Tottenham Court Road, right to go Dean Street. We supplement that with those legible London maps because sometimes you, you have to try orientate yourself. Is it the Tottenham Court Road entrance or is it Dean Street? I can see from that map and I can make my decision right here. With the concrete and the lack of advertising, you won a good game though. It makes them, certainly not ecclesiastical, but there's, something, there's a serenity about them, which is when you come down from street level and especially where we are here right in the centre of London and we know this is on the busiest road junctions just above us, you come down here and, and there is a, a notion of calm. It's, it's a bit of a mood changer, actually, as you, you leave the, the bustle of the streetscape. It is. It's a compression of space. You'll see that the ticket halls and the public realm outside expresses that local area. And then you go into a, a more compressed space, which could be claustrophobic. But we've worked on the lighting and the general ambience on that to try and make those spaces as calm and as neutral and as flowing. There is... A sense of calmness down here, isn't there? Where should we head to next? I think we should go into the lower concourse space. Mm-hmm. See, around here, these, these natural sweeps, and quite a lot of the problems is when people running for their train and people, you know, hit, bump into each other. This is just a, it's a flow. I remember the team we went to Anush Kapoor exhibition at the Royal Academy very early in the days when we were coming up with these concepts and looking at the horns that he was doing and then we had images of also of the flow a series of tubes and you know almost like a plumber's box on how do you link all these junctions together seamlessly we had images of gas flowed cylinder heads you know how do you make a cylinder head more efficient where well, you gas flow it you can see all this flow it just promotes 
this transition of people. People just coming off the train here and you can see the flow of people going down the tubes, can't you? Again, because these corridors, these tubes are so wide that there's none of that bustle, that crush you get off when people are squeezing off of a tube train when they're like waiting behind each other to walk up a few stairs. People just naturally kind of disappear up into the street. Well, I think when you have such a large engineering infrastructure intervention in a city, a working city, you talked about Bond Street, right in the heart of Mayfair, I still find it unbelievable when I go to that station that underneath Mayfair was built the scale of this infrastructure. If you're going to build that and you're going to do it for the next 15 years, you make sure that it's sized and future-proofed for an increase in passengers. There's been lots of questions about what the future of urban mobility is, whether people are going to be using the city in the same way after the, the pandemic. But you've built this to take many, many more people. Absolutely. Lisbeth Line will enable 1.5 million people to be closer to the centre of uh, London. The idea is, yes, it's got capacity for the future. There was meant to be a second line to be built. It's been put on ice, cost, all sorts of things came into play. Do you think one day that will be revisited or do you hope it will be revisited? You're probably talking about Crossrail 2. Well, I do think the north-south needs a new line. There's no doubt about that. And what I would say is that after the Jubilee line, it was a shame that all that expertise and knowledge didn't continue in the UK. It went further afield to Singapore, Hong Kong, Kuala Lumpur. And we've got a great body of men and women experience in delivering these stations and infrastructure within our city. And wouldn't it make sense to continue that on? We've invested a lot of money in training, you know, tunnel academies, all sorts. It would be quite natural to build Crossrail 2 straight away. But obviously, I'm not a politician and I'm not a funder. But we need it in London. We need it in the rest of the UK as well. Infrastructure is the heart of regeneration. We know that. No one has the right business case for it. I think it's quite self-evident around the world. The Victorians built the railway, the cities came. So, we're in the lower concourse of Tottenham Court Road. We wanted to try and keep all the the space clutter-free. So everything is on these totems. You'll see at the top here is a a light, an uplight. You've got CCTV cameras through to emergency lighting to signage, things like cleaners' sockets and tape barriers. We call them a hard-working product. It's almost a slice of the platform screen door that you see. It's like a magnet for all this equipment. And it's all at low level. You can see with a very limited stepladder come scaffold, you can do all the access and maintenance on those. So there's a rhythm of these totems which accommodate all this kit. Now, just talking about the lighting, you'll see we've got an uplit space here. Again, it makes the whole environment very welcoming and very calming and you'll see that the colour temperature is a warm colour temperature. So with the lighting consultants who are GIA equation, they came up with the concept of fast and slow spaces. A fast space is where you know where you're going and we use cool light to promote activity. Where you're at a decision point, we use up lighting and a warm light. So we're at a decision point here. We're almost at the crossroads. Do we go westbound? Do we go eastbound? That is like your city crossroads. And then when you go westbound and you go onto those platforms, 
you will see that the lighting there is different. So we play with the, all these cues, as it were. I always say about wayfinding, it's not just about signs everywhere. We try and look for environmental cues, whether it's the organic flow of the spaces, whether it's the lighting, where the signage is, those sort of things, or promote a seamless experience. The totems, I guess, are, what, four metres high, a little bit more, maybe? Yeah, three and a half, yeah. And then there's a whole line of them going down here through the tunnel. And these, these are a unifying thing that we see in all of the stations. That's right, yes. This is one of the common products, just like the platform screen walls are. And with the, just talking about that detail, you'll notice that we agonised over the fins of the light and where they line through with the fins of the speaker here and how straight the fins are. You know, I, I still get quite a sense of satisfaction when I, when There's I, when the industrial I look at designer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just as a footnote for our listeners today, what's fascinating is when you look down this huge, wide tunnel, there are these totems, but you suddenly realise what it means. When you, you look at the ceiling, there are no lights hanging down, there are no light fixtures, there are no light fixtures on any of the, the walls. You have these pure concrete walls sinuously kind of taking you up to the other platforms. Once you realise that, it's an amazing trick using these totems because, again, there's nothing to clean or polish or a bulb to change that requires a, a cherry picker or anything like that. Mm. It's all done in a, in a very functional and uh, very well industrially designed way. Well, I think that's a good point to go onto the escalators now to talk about the integration components and how that environment feels as well. This is a space which really excites me. You said, were there any unexpected elements to this? When you see people on this and you see this space, I think this has turned out better than we ever thought it could be. And look at that, that space, how it draws your eye. It's clutter-free, it's got the colour of the advertising on the side walls. It's got a beautiful feel with the lighting. I think the lighting designers did a spectacular job in here. So what's fascinating is, you know, first of all, as been hinted, it's such a long escalator again here at Liverpool Street. But this transition from being underground to heading up towards the light, it makes it a really interesting experience because there, there's something emotional almost happens as you're transitioning between one space and the other. It's not that hurly-burly, barging your way on the, a normal tube station where you're probably just as tense as you get on the platform as when you left the streetscape. Here there is something that happens. You, you do feel this calmness, this moment of transition between the two spaces. But yeah, and again, all... all the lighting and the, the, the amazing concrete. It's pretty special. Just blocking someone's way there while I'm admiring the view. Here we're coming out of that consistent level of design into the bespoke architectural space. And we, we looked at lots of how do we do those transitions. I think this one was almost named the Pope's Hat. So there's, there's various transition points of the portals. Yeah, it's almost like walking through a city gate, which is, of course, very relevant in London with the old walls, but it's like there's this arch that you walk through with the concrete panels slightly adapted. Again, a really beautiful space to head through. So you can see this is, we're at street level here, and then we're going to pass down. We 
get a sense of the datum of the street. So immediately we know we're going under the street. And that's quite a purposeful sign, isn't it? It is saying Elizabeth Line starts here. And then we come on to the platform here. A nice little moving map as well, not just telling the times the train's arriving, you get some sense of, you see the, the stations passing by, you, you understand you're definitely on the right platform. And what I've noticed about this legible London maps, if you've got time to dwell, and I've noticed this observing people, is that while they're waiting for the train, people naturally gravitate towards these. And while they're waiting, they just, they just have a look at where they are and what they might look at, what the sites we're looking here. Oh, I didn't know the Guildhall was there. You know, I'm aware of the Barbican. Immediately, people can orientate themselves while waiting for a train where they've never had that opportunity until they get almost out on the street. And that's why you always see outside stations, groups of people almost like discharged out of that ticket hall and looking like, where do I go next? This is all about journey planning. And also I think important when you're exiting the station, it makes you think, it's fine, I can walk. You don't think, I need to find another mode of transport to get to my... My destination, even if it's only 500 metres away, many people often seem to jump in a cab because they're just a bit nervous about how to get somewhere. So again, just encouraging you to use walking alongside your Elizabeth Lyon experience. And it's all about giving people the right information to enable them to explore cities, explore districts. You know, I think it's, it's sort of, it's the core part of how we're thinking of, of designing our cities and, and the elements of engagement with it's people. It's nice that you, you've even thought about what you do with people when they get off your trains, how you hand them back to the city and how you get them to explore it and understand it. Yeah, well I think that's central is this user experience approach on the end-to-end journey. It's been a passion for me when I was back at the RCA when I did a technology project and that's how I came to work for Grimshaw about looking at how can we improve a ticketing system, how can we improve that experience of travel because I think that we'd almost, this is back in 1988-90, regressed of the experience in travel. You know, everyone said, how do we bring back a, a more, I don't know, intuitive, a bit more encompassing way of travelling? It doesn't have to be so arduous. And in our work, that's why we're attracted to cities. We're attracted to transport projects, whether they're airports or train stations. It's just try and help ease that, experience of traveling from a to b because it's so rewarding as we know we all want to explore and i always remember when someone came for an interview and i said why are you interested in wayfinding and she said well uh, most frightening experience was when i was a child and i was lost and i couldn't find my way out of this station and i'd lost my parents and that was a really powerful emotion which i've never forgotten and that's what got me interested in in wayfinding and i think that really resonated with me There's nothing more stressful in not knowing where you're going. And it can put you off a place, can't it? It can put you off going somewhere. And I think if we can just do one small element into refining that experience for people, then that's quite a rewarding job for a designer. That's almost a a perfect fine line because we're now going as individuals, as travellers on Elizabeth Line, but we also know where we're going as a city and uh, hopefully the country as well because this is a, a really amazing piece of industrial design. Thank you for giving us an incredible tour. Thank you very much indeed. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode of The Urbanist. 
Remember that the July-August issue of Monocle magazine is out now, which includes our quality of life survey, ranking the top 25 cities in the world. You can find us on all good newsstands, or of course, by becoming a subscriber at monocle.com. Today's episode of The Urbanist was produced and edited by Carlotta Rabello and David Stevens. And to play you out this week, here's Girls Aloud with Sound of the Underground. Thank you for listening, City Lovers. It's a